So, hi everybody to a special episode of Reproducibility. Um, it is incredibly weird because I am here in person with... Sophia. Yeah. Yes. When was the last time we talked? I mean, in person, never. Yes, in person, never. Yes. But we were on a podcast episode before. Yeah, I think that's like two months ago now. Yes, yeah. and paradoxically, that was... Um, on conferences. Or, yes, ironically. <laughs> not paradoxically. Um, but we're not alone today. Um, we have a few guests um, who I would just ask to introduce themselves. Do you want to start? Sure. I'm Wesley Willett. I'm an associate professor at the University of Calgary in Canada. I'm Lahari Guswami and I'm a PhD researcher at the University of Lausanne in Switzerland. I'm Lonnie Besançon, I'm a postdoc researcher at Linköping University in Sweden. We haven't actually said where we are. We're at Schloss Dachstuhl. Yeah, yeah, yeah that oh. was the, I want oh, no. now the big reveal. Oh god! Where it actually is. I've ruined it. <laughs> yes. Okay, sorry. I, I will, I'll just I... keep recording everything he's going to say and I will not edit it. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> pretend I haven't said that then. Okay, so okay. You, you, you say you, no, your name again and we can pretend it didn't happen. No, no, I will just keep going. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> joking. <laughs> we are very transparent here. Mm. With the Full recording errors. process. Yes, because we are here at Schloss Dachstuhl at a seminar for... Let me check the card. Transparent quantitative research as a user interface problem. What did we do here? We are now four days in, I think four very productive days. What did we do? What didn't we do? <laughs> well, we, we talked about transparent quantitative research as the user interface, but no. Um, First thought, yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. You're right. No? All right. Um, so I guess we all got together because we have different expertise, different background, and we tried to see what we could bring forward to the open science slash transparency movement because there's lots of things that have been happening but I don't think there's lots of solutions beyond the classical like yeah open science is great uh, you should do it and I think that's what we've been trying to work on most of the time uh, so providing ways to do it uh, like to help people actually do it be more transparent but also providing examples of how to be more transparent providing trying to provide interfaces to make Paper submission process is a little bit easier, maybe, uh, when it comes to being transparent. I think it's also been interesting, this is Wes, we've been bringing together a set of people who are interested in open science and open practices from a variety of different communities. So folks who have more of a stats background, folks from psychology, but a lot of people from the human-computer interaction and visualization areas and areas where quantitative statistical work is kind of one piece of many different methods. And so a lot of these conversations have resulted in us thinking about what it means to do transparent and open practices that bridge work that's quantitative and qualitative, work that's engineering focused, work that's design focused. Yeah, I would like to add to that. Um, the subject that came up from our discussion today is about um, how transparency is actually about being incremental in your process of being transparent. I, and I think it has been particularly self-reflected re reflected for me because when I started, what was my process of being transparent to now it has changed and probably from this seminar and the discussions, I'm taking away a lot more. And yeah, I think it's been really cool. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think, I mean, for me, I must say these last few days were super motivating just being together with people who are all interested in open science who are really interested in making a change and just sitting down trying to work something out that was really cool um, and yeah i think we are a very 
interesting case field-wise, as you mentioned, Wes, um, we are just so many dis different disciplines crammed into one, while most of the open science literature is still kind of very narrowly focused, oftentimes coming from a psychological perspective or a more um, uh, science perspective, while we, science as in the natural sciences in this case, and while we, I, while we um, kind of combine a lot of different research focuses and especially research goals. Mm -hmm. right. Can you give an overview of the field of human interaction? Oh God. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can, you can crowdsource it between right. the, the four of you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the random outsider. <laughs> I, I'm the hypocrite as well. I came from psychology originally, so... Um, <laughs> I mean, you are doing your PhD in this though. Fair, fair. Um, anyone of you try to take a shot? What is human computer interaction? Uh, I think there's, there, it's one of these fields that really has no one definition, in part because it originates at the intersection of so many different fields. There are folks who do uh, human-computer interaction work that comes from a very low-level technical computer science perspective. There are folks who approach it from a cognitive psychology perspective. There are folks who approach it really as art that happens to bring together people and machines. And so there are kind of as many different definitions of what it means to do human-computer interaction or, or HCI. Uh, as there are communities that it brings together. It's very well said. That was a cool definition. I like it. <laughs> not going to add to that. It was really good. <laughs> not going to add to that, I think. Perfect. I'm definitely going to add this out. <laughs> so thinking back about um, the last few days, where we try to work out problems that we have in HCI in regards to transparency. Where do you guys think um, are the biggest construction sites at the moment? Where are the places we should put a lever in and really trying to push the field towards more transparency? Or why do you guys even think we should need more transparency? I think the why is pretty obvious, right? Um, what it means to be transparent is another question, but the why transparency is pretty obvious. We want things to be reusable by others. We want things to be, we want to be able to check on things that have been published. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to find errors when they are some, and transparency helps in this regard. So I think the why is kind of obvious, although it needs repeating uh, every now and then. Mm -hmm. The what are the things that are actionable? The most actionable is a little bit more complicated. As I might say, it, I think it's, it's, it's field dependent or, research method dependent, right? Uh, but I think something I would really like to highlight based on the conversations I've also had earlier is like, there's no one meaning of transparency. And so we should really highlight one more time that like whatever is said or heard often about transparency in particular in quantitative research doesn't necessarily apply to qualitative research. And that probably we should make that clear over and over again, although it can be tiring to have to repeat it. Uh, but I think we should we should do that um, probably a lot more often. But I think it's interesting because HCI as a as a field broadly is a field that I think has been sitting kind of right at the edge of awareness of the replication crisis. Mm -hmm. There are some corners of HCI, so visual perceptions, and visualization, yeah. or some kind of lower level uh, interaction technique work where people have butted up against this directly. But broadly, I think we as a field are only peripherally aware of the idea that some of these issues could apply to us. 
And there's still a bit of an opportunity to get out ahead of this and to get the community thinking about it in a way that builds on some of the work that other disciplines have been doing. And I think everyone who's here is kind of at the leading edge of thinking about that in HCI and in a way that builds a lot of enthusiasm. I think I'm coming away from this very excited that there are a lot more people that I've had thought who are actively excited about pushing this forward mm -hmm. and are actively excited about advocating for it within their respective communities within HCI. I would also like to say that I think transparency um, also fosters creativity in a way because if you're transparent about what you're doing, probably your data or your methods or whatever, once you put it out there, there might be other people who might actually take ideas off of you and try to do something better, more innovative, or like even try to collaborate with you. So I think it definitely fosters a more creative way of like uh, propagating science. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the iterative yeah. idea behind science, right? That things build on top of each other and we should actually collaborate. Yeah. Maybe it's sort of competing. Exactly. Um, but to add to what Wes was saying, I think it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that the, uh, like, so there is the replication cross, it has happened. People in the field know about this, at least by name. They might not necessarily know all the intricacies of it, but they know it has happened and they know it has to deal with the reliability and robustness of scientific findings in multiple fields. And yet, many people in our field would argue that there's no chance whatsoever that this will apply to us. Although we do use many of the methods that have led to that in the other disciplines, right? And this is an argument that I heard over and over again while having conversations, informal conversations always, right? It was never through reviewing processes or anything, but it was always like through informal conversations that people were like, oh, but that's not going to apply to us. Like, why would it? Um, and I think often this stems from the idea that the research that we do is not going to directly impact people. So the danger of non-replicating or something like this, this is a personal take on this. I'm, I, no one ever said that, but it's what I think is behind us. The people are like, yeah, but you know, no one's going to replicate it because it doesn't really matter. And... Anyways, if it doesn't replicate, it's not really a big problem. But And I think people just don't understand that there are threats of a replication crisis in the field. And we actually published this paper with Andy and Pierre about this, uh, looking at empirical computer science. And of course, it was very quantitative methods oriented, looking at you know p-value dichotomous interpretations and all of these things, uh, but also complete lack of transparency. And I think this is bound to, at some point, some form of replication crisis, whatever that means for the field. It might not just be that we can't replicate results and everything has been p-hacking or anything, but it might be that we can't reuse any of the software that we have mm. developed, for instance. And I think in some sense, I would argue that this is a replication crisis somehow, right? Mm. Because there are products of our research, and if we can't use them or even tr try to find efficient ways to re-implement them, then we start again from scratch, right? Mm. So I would argue there's some form of threats there. Yeah, um, just to add to that, I also think it might... I mean, it's also like my personal notion, but I feel like HCI as a field is very novelty focused. So the outcome is what they're looking for is a novel result. And they would argue that, like, why use something that has already been made, mm -hmm. like start something new. But even if it's just like in the sense of art, art is not always like, you know, uh, brand new from somebody's idea. It's always been like fed from someone who has done something 10 year, 10,000 years ago and like, people just build on top of that. So yeah, I think that also adds to the replication crisis that you just talked about in HCI, which should be acknowledged by the way. Yeah, and I mean, I think what, what you guys said, it's it's hard for us to like fuck up our studies so bad that we accidentally kill people, yes. right? <laughs> and we, 
oftentimes work with significantly lower stakes than other fields. However, um, like especially for me who kind of studies player experience, um, I heavily suspect that there are a lot of research dead ends that only one specific lab is aware about because they did run the study, it did fail, and they just never did anything with it. Mm -hmm. um, though I mean this leads into the wider problem of, um, of uh, positivity bias, right? mm -hmm. publication bias. Um, yeah. Where do you guys think we could make the biggest change? Where it would be the where we where we should like focus um, on to change? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think from the discussions here on this like sort of second to last day, um, it's more quite clear that that has to depend on the subfield. Right? Would you agree? I definitely agree with that. I mean, to me, I think the biggest thing that we could do in the near term is surfacing the importance of transparency broadly across CHI and starting those discussions in the subfields that are maybe aware of this as an issue, but which aren't engaging with it very directly, maybe because it's framed in a way that's very quantitative focused and they see that as not being relevant to them. And in fact, there are clearly a, a bunch of interesting potential benefits to transparency and that don't just rely on verification of results, but mm -hmm. are thinking about extensibility, mm -hmm. maybe even thinking about things like equity, yeah. uh, where there might be a lot of reasons to be more transparent when you're doing design research or one of these things, these research methods in CHI that's not strictly quantitative. And surfacing that discussion in those communities and highlighting some of the benefits, I think, is a potential to start a really big discussion. We should say what CHI is, by the way. Right, so CHI being the, the biggest uh, human-computer interaction conference. So this is ACM, um, annual SIG-CHI conference on computer-human interaction, C-H-I, pronounced like the Greek letter CHI. And highlighting that in computer science uh, base field, many of them we publish in conferences instead of journals. So we don't just send abstracts there. We, sh we actually send full papers. Uh, I guess it's also something important to say because not everyone publishes in that model. Yeah, um, yeah areas for change, right? I guess you can go yeah. for it. <laughs> but um, I really don't know, but like looking at the not a subfield like the part of ATI that I'm mostly interested in is in like understanding learning behaviors and I see a lot of studies that have been done on students teaching not many things many tools but I do not see them getting replicated and um, you know these are real stakeholders because these are students and um, you are teaching them something or like probably some, some probably like one of the group is being actually having the treatment is probably being taught and the other one is not. So, I mean, within my subfield, I would probably probably like to like push this far and more um, because there are so many studies about programming learning and everything, um, but no one actually talks about uh, how learning takes place in the field because it does not take place in a small experimental setup. Mm -hmm. So when you are teaching a class, do you, if you do experiments in that, um, there's not enough replication studies on that. And, like, you know, not necessarily you're going to get significant results every time. Um, and I think it's important to be vocal about that. Like, it's not about learning game, always. 
it's about the process as well what do you take out of that and you share it with the rest of the community because they need to know and they can also like far better design the experiments or like have new insights so i think i would probably like to start from like my place where i'm mm. doing push it further and see probably replicate somebody study and see what how it goes yeah so I guess the one thing that maybe could work that we haven't really talked about too much this week is to focus on waste. I think you wrote it in a document, right? Or did you? Yeah, did you? Um, um, so I think a lot of the things that we do in science often we rely on the, on the pillars built by other people, right? On the, on the shoulders, giant kind of metaphor and things. Uh, but these need to be accessible for you. What, what it means to build on someone's research in different fields is different. And that's, that's the thing where we know in quantitative research it's quite easy. You, you build on the knowledge they created to create new hypotheses, you build on the data they have to reanalyze the data in a new way. You can do all these other things. You can use the methodology or their study design to modify some bits to find the importance of a specific variable. This is quite easy. In other fields, I'm not sure what that would look like to reduce scientific waste in that aspect, you know, because maybe you want to reuse someone's method, but how should they report it for you to reuse it? Uh, couldn't you even reuse it? You know, I think it, it, I'm not so clear on what that could bring. There's lots of other things we can think about. We think about open science and transparency, where we could reduce waste as well as maybe changing publication processes to get to get earlier feedback. Mm -hmm. Like the whole idea of a registered report, right? Which is like you iterate over with reviewers before you collect your data, before you do any kind of process actually to get their feedback earlier on. So that if they, instead of getting the reviews later, that people tell you like, oh, you should have done that instead. What if you did that? What if you did that? Then you can actually get the input earlier, integrate it potentially, if it's reasonable, and see where this leads. Um, but again, how does that apply to different fields? It's very easy for quantitative methods to imagine doing that. What does it bring for like design studies? For people that just go to, you know, we have people in the visualization field, for instance, that build new software for, let's say, uh, people that look at uh, 3D medical data. Um, does it build new visualization software for these people? What does it mean to, to have like some form of registered report beforehand? Like, I, what do you submit to reviewers? How, how do these papers even get reviewed? What is the one thing that matters in the field? How can you reduce waste in there? I don't really know. I don't think I can participate too much to kind of conversation, but I would like these conversations to start. I think it would benefit everyone. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, so we are very staunchly walking towards uh, dinner, which is the most important part of every conference. <laughs> so I would say, would you guys like to add anything? I mean, we could briefly talk about the venue. We could. As a, you know, as a, as a sort of uh, transition to dinner. Um, <laughs> True, yes. Because I, I, think, I think this venue is, seems, seems to be a, one that everyone in your field knows about, and I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we could, we could introduce it a little bit. So, but I'm not sure. I guess Wes has been here so so much more than I have that he would probably know more about this. But I guess in, in Wes, what is Dijkstra? yeah? <laughs> yeah. So, so Dijkstra is a German center for computer science research, housed in Schloss Dijkstra, which is a old manor house near Wadern uh, in southwestern Germany. Um, quite far from any of the major cities, <laughs> but in a way that makes it a really interesting place to hold research retreats. Um, they hold on the order, uh, I think, a hundred and some every year where they bring together usually a few dozen researchers who are interested in a particular topic for three to five days. 
and it means you're kind of cloistered with those folks living and eating and working with them for five days straight, which offers this really interesting opportunity to build community and also to make meaningful research progress on a topic in a way that is generally hard to do given the kind of hustle and bustle of everyday research and teaching work that most of us are wrapped up in. Yeah. Would you guys come again? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, good, yeah. Good. yeah, absolutely. Of course, it's it's amazing. And you've been here like, what, I four times. Is, I think this is my fifth time. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely be coming back for more. Hey, I, I, find it really I, I would love to, but I'm not sure if I'll find an excuse well, for something well, to well, remember. Oh, yes, yeah. Remember. No, I, would, I would definitely love to. I think this has been the best um, sort of conference workshop I mean, when everything goes well, you might now end up with your name on a few HCI papers. So you're <laughs> you're in the community now. Nice. <laughs> I guess one thing you can mention also is I think that the the German government is also like financially helping this happening, right? So they they're like I mean we we still pay for coming here, but they are substantially helping us and yeah. being here for a week and providing. Cheaper food and accommodation. And excellent. Excellent. And food. really good food. Really good yeah. food, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, real cool place. And with that, we now will go to the food. Um, thank you for being here. Um, that was a really cool talk. Um, this was a really cool conference. And I hope something like this will happen soon. And thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. you listen to reproducibility season 2 episode 12 live from Dachstuhl. special guests this episode were Lonnie Bezachon who's on twitter at Lonnie Bezachon Lahari Goswami who is also on twitter at Lahari G and Wesley Willett who is smart enough to not use social media your hosts this episode were Sophia Crivell who is on twitter at Crivelli and Jan Vornhagen, who's on Twitter at VornhagenJB. A little bit of housekeeping today. First off, as you probably noticed from the LEGO Freaky uploads, we are more or less officially done with Season 2. There will be a few more um, episodes here and there, but our regular content will probably only resume next year. While we are preparing the next season, we would like to ask you to send us comment, feedback, any suggestions that you have? Are we doing a good job so far? Do you wish to see different content? Are there any topics we should really cover? Are there any people we should really talk to? Is this whole ECR thing working or should we just forget the whole thing and do a video game podcast? Right, on that note, we want to thank everybody who has already sent in some critique, some uh, comments, even if we can't address them uh, on the air, we would like to thank you all very much. We take everything to heart. And on that note, I wish you all a good day, good night, wherever you are. Thank you so much for listening. See ya.